Welcome to The Mortgage Life, a space for down-to-earth conversations about how mortgages contribute to your life. Well, that sounds canned and maybe a little boring. What? There are so many parts to the mortgage industry and real estate finance we can explore and share with our listeners. Okay, you're right. You're right, Mindy. Our goal is to help secure our clients' financial future. I'm Pete Salamosi. I'm Mindy Bodwin. And I'm Sue Salamosi. We're your hosts. Welcome to The Mortgage Life. Pete, what are we diving into? Well, a lot of people consider short-term rentals as a potential way of building a rental portfolio. They look at the the costs. For instance, if you go out and you try to find a a short-term rental for your own stay, you realize how potentially expensive they are, maybe cheaper than a hotel, but still fairly expensive. And you think, conversely, if I go and buy a place that I can rent short-term, this is probably a good strategy for building my portfolio. So let's get into the actual nuts and bolts of this, because maybe it's not as simple as just going to buy one of these things. What are the different things that we have to think about? I was going to say, we have a lot of clients that come to us that want to build their portfolio, but don't necessarily know the ins and outs, right? Right. Our special guest today is not really a special guest, just our co-host, Mindy. It's our very (laughs) own Mindy. (laughs) Mindy has uh, owned and operated a number of short-term rentals. So Mindy, why don't you give us an opening on on your experience? I, I know you like you started in your 20s, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I was 23 when I bought my first rental property. I wrote my purchase agreement on a Tim Hortons napkin because it was a private sale. <laughs> Most of those properties that would have been in the 2000s and the 202010s that decade were long-term rentals where you buy a ho- house, you you rent it out on a lease agreement for a term greater than 30 days. That's kind of the definition of a long-term a stay that's greater than 30 days. Short-term falls under that stay. When we moved to the Okanagan, which is a very um, strong tourist industry, we looked at changing this idea about the long-term to the short-term. So we purchased a condo on the lake that allowed for short-term rentals and learned all the ins and outs. Some of the learning was the hard way, of course, but uh, now at this time we do. So we have a property on the lake and we have a property on the mountain at Silver Star. And those two operate very differently, but again, sort of the same themes a- across the two. So I'm, where do, yeah, anyways. Where do we, where do we <laughs> yeah. start? Where do we start? Well, I think a really good question is, like you've, you've found a place here in Vernon and obviously any tourist place could have a short-term rental, right? Can you just go and find a place? Like is Kelowna good? Is Penticton okay? Like yeah. Pete, you know the answer to that I'm, question. I'm leading you into this. What <laughs> well, about the area? <laughs> that's just it. Is like the number one question. People think this is just, oh, I'm going to go basically buy myself a hotel room and away I go. But number one, can you operate a short-term rental in the area that you want to buy? Might seem like an easy answer on the surface, but there are different rules per municipality, per province. And even stratas, like condominiums, can determine whether or not they will allow short-term rentals in their building. So unlike a long-term tenancy, short-term rentals are not governed by the Provincial Residential Tenancy Act. The only real legislation is in within the Strata Act, but 
there's so many layers to this. So it's very, very important, more so than even with a long-term rental, that if this is the route you want to take, you want to make sure that you can legally operate this in your area. So kind of rules-wise, this isn't the same as your regular rental. This doesn't fall under the province of BC or Alberta or any of the other provinces. This is actually more a municipal thing is what you're saying. Absolutely. There's different bylaws, for example, currently, and again, these things change all the time. Um, Kelowna, Powell River, Victoria, short-term rentals can only be allowed now in your primary residences, unless of course you're in a building where those rules were grandfathered. But again, you know, I don't want to dive too deep down this this rabbit hole, but you can see there's all these different layers of legislation. So again, when you're looking to purchase, work with a trusted team, work with a realtor that understands what it is that you're looking for and the property type that you want. What you're saying is the first step you should do is find that team and do some investigation. Like this is where the homework part is going to be really important. Narrow in on exactly what municipality. So if it's the city that you currently live in because of convenience, you'll be right there. Does that municipality, does that city allow for these short-term rentals? And and how is that all handled? So do the homework on step one so that you can at least narrow in on whether those are allowed. So then Mindy, after we've got that, how do you, how do, what's the next step? What's step two? So step two is how the heck do you buy one? So now you know you're, you can do it. You know what the insurance requirements are. You know whether or not you need a business license. These are all actual things in certain municipalities. Now you're like, okay, good. I've got my tools. I've got my realtor. So how do I buy one? Now let's back to our long-term rentals. With a long-term rental, we can assign rental income to that property, which is going to help you qualify for your purchase. With a short-term rental, that's not always the case. So we are going to be doing a subsequent episode to this one where we're going to talk about building your empire and looking at, looking at mortgage qualification in general for rental properties. But with a short-term rental, if you want it to be a residential mortgage, residential lenders like residential real estate. They don't like using short-term rental income for qualifying income because in a lot of cases, they think of that being more of a commercial enterprise. Additionally, if you're buying, for example, in a building that is zoned for short-term rentals, many residential lenders don't like that as well because they deem that to be commercial. So it can be tricky. And it's not just the commercial aspect, it's the variable aspect of it, right? Like Mindy, I'm sure your property up on SolarStar has higher rental income from like November to March when there's ski season, when there's people on the mountain. That's right, Sue. When the short-term rentals first came into the like popular in the market, a lot of lenders just said, nope, we're not using the income. But now we're finding exactly as you say, people are showing year over year that they've earned, you know, X amount. And so we're almost using it like self-employed income, like a sole proprietor income. I've even seen some clients actually create a sole proprietorship and put all their rental income. We've seen some pretty, we've seen some pretty crazy tax returns. (laughs) Yes. So like Mindy says, that's going to be covered in our third episode of the rentals and mortgages series. So stay tuned for that because that'll be some really interesting information on how to get those things qualified. So we kind of covered the second step. Now, let's say that you've you've actually managed to get this rental property, Mindy. 
now that you have one, how do you, how do you get people in there? Yeah. Good question, Pete. So, you know, this isn't the 20 years ago where you just put an ad in the local paper and away you go. Um, guests have a lot higher expectations these days. Um, so I guess there's sort of three basic ways that one could market a short-term rental. You can do it all by yourself, put an ad in the classifieds or marketplace on Facebook, for example. In that case, you're doing all the marketing, the platforms, you're handling all the money, all the payments, you're taking on all the liability, all the risk, not something I've done, not something I would necessarily recommend, but some people do do that way. The second way is kind of a little step above that, which is using one of the online platforms. So I'm sure we've all heard of Airbnb, VRBO, those platforms, and I'm biased, okay, so I've used these for quite some time now. Once you get to know them, once you get to understand how they work, they're unbelievably valuable. You just upload the information. It's very straightforward. They guide you through the process. Photos are extremely important, as are, you know, concise descriptions. You get it up in there. They essentially market this for you. They handle all the payments, all the transactions, you get paid during the stay. You're not having to ask for money or deal with credit card payments because if the guests for some reason don't pay, you know, the online platform goes after them. The third way, of course, is by hiring a management company. So if you're, you know, a busy working professional, you want to take this on, this short-term rental thing, but you just don't want to take the time to learn an online platform or buy new linens, for example, then you can hire a management company. A management company would be like tip to tail. They're doing it all for you. They're doing all the management, finding the clients. And of course, because they do a little bit more, they will charge a higher fee. So the sort of the, the three, the differences between the three are how much time and effort you're putting in. And then of course the costs. So I'd say self through classifieds, of course, that's going to be the least expensive. However, it opens you up to massive liability or other issues down the road, which could potentially be more expensive. Um, the online platforms, they charge anywhere from 3 to 5% per booking. And then a management company, you'd be paying anywhere from 15 to 30% of your gross rents. That, that's a big difference between the online platform and the management company. But once you dig into it, you can see that there's a lot of little things that need to be done. So mm -hmm. that additional 10 to 12% is covering all of those things. Yeah, like you would just, you pay sort of a flat fee to the company, but then you'd still pay for all the extras. Um, so just as an example for us, we found that our unit on the lake in the condo, we can do through Airbnb or VRBO easily. The one up at Silver Star, because it's a little bit more remote, it's a self-contained house, that one we hired a management company for. So again, two different properties, a little bit different management style. Uh, Silver Star needs a little bit more on the ground, especially now that we've left the Vernon area and we're in Victoria, um, we're finding that structure works best for us. Nice. What you said there and, and what both you and Sue alluded to, uh, and you said specifically, is that time piece. Yep. I think that, that self-management, it is quite time intensive. And I think if you're going to become someone who you know manages a few of these, that may become your full-time job. Like That becomes a very, very uh, time-consuming thing. Well, and it comes down to the question, what is your time worth? Well, exactly. Platforms mm -hmm. like Airbnb, VRBO, like they're so well known nowadays and they provide such a great marketplace 
they'll bring in a lot of those people that are that are going to be looking around online. Uh, and then, like you say, the management company in specific scenarios, it is worth that extra 15 to 30%. So a lot of different ways that you can look at that, but a lot of things that may make business sense in different scenarios. So however you're marketing or managing your short-term rental property, Mindy, I want to know if you've got some key strategies that you want to share or that you can share. Yes, I definitely will. There's just one point, sorry, that I just thought of that I wanted to mention in the marketing side is, so with VRBO, for example, we've been with them for quite some time and we have, I can't remember how many five-star ratings, ratings is important. We are now advertised on Expedia. So for example, if you're just Googling hotel room in Vernon, our rental shows up on your accommodation search through Expedia. So this is another really cool um, thing that's that's offered. Yeah, I think that that flows right into strategies, right? Strategies. Like which platform are you using? Yeah. Do you want to be on Expedia? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, number one, I'd say strategies is you just... Think about what your expectations are when you check into a hotel room or an Airbnb, you know, number one, it's gotta be clean. Our condo is not the best located condo in our building, but we have so many good reviews because we keep it clean. Another thing that people don't think about is linens. <laughs> I know this is such a boring thing to say, but extra sets of sheets, like three per bed, extra sets of towels, two extra sets. These things go a long way. Think about if you have eight guests checking out at 11 a.m. and eight guests checking in at 4 p.m. You know, unless you own a laundromat, you know, or a management company is taking care of it that owns a laundromat. How are you going to, how are you going to get that done? You're not. That's like 16 sheets with between fitted sheets and top sheets plus pillowcases. Ooh. See, I'm really optimistic. I, I always think I can do it. You should see my lock-off rooms, especially at the chalet, like at Silver Star. It's organized because we have queen beds, single beds, and double beds. So it's... I think that's a strategy, <laughs> yes. this organization thing. <laughs> I know. So when the cleaners go in, they're just like, oh, you know, just grab a set off the double stack or whatever. And then the sheets are cleaning if they don't get them dry, whatever. Anyways. Are they labeled? They are labeled. Also, I, there you go. On the label, the sheet it. label itself, I do a D, a Q, or a T. So oh, you yeah. labeled the label. I label the label. <laughs> yeah. Sure I do. Love it. Success cleaners, you know, have a good cleaners that you trust to understand your expectations. I've found that hiring a cleaner that's like a typical house cleaner, not quite the same level as hiring a cleaner that is used to doing the short term turnaround scenario you know to look for, right? Exactly. Yeah. You've got to stage the space for when the people check in, um, get to know your clients. You'll end up with a lot of repeat guests. I have guests that have stayed with us, I think, for six years now in a row. And I usually when they check in, I'll have, you know, like a case of their favorite beer on the counter and say, like, welcome back. Enjoy your stay. You know, that case only costs $20. But, you know, to have them as a client consistent is is priceless. Another big thing is communication. I know this is one of your favorite topics, Sue. And I yeah. find that in this world, it's so critical so many of our positive reviews are on quick, precise communication. 
anytime I get a question or a request, I try to answer immediately, unless of course I'm, you know, it's in the middle of the night and I'm sleeping, but communication goes a long way. Just a couple more points. Um, you want to let the clients have easy access. You know, if they've driven for eight hours and it's 9 p.m. at night, they're not going to want to have to call you and meet down at Tim Hortons to get the key and then drive an extra three blocks. You know, it's like make it as easy on them as they can when they come in, envisioning them carrying luggage and groceries and kids. My final point is just be human. Often guests are on vacation. They're in their happy place. They're ready to unwind and relax and just, you know, be approachable, be reachable, be human. So those are my keys to success. So, yeah. I wanted to comment on the making it easy. Pete and I stayed in an Airbnb last year in a big city. It's like you're reading my <laughs> mind. I'm like, this access thing? Sue, you tell it. Oh, we were in Montreal and we stayed in an Airbnb. And I think we spent about three hours trying to get in. After our long flight, we had all our luggage. The neighborhood was stinky. <laughs> we were trying, there was like a lock, there was a lockbox on the door, but the key wasn't in the lockbox. Yes. The key was, I don't even know where it was. Like you had to get a code with an app on your phone and do that. And it was like, I, anyways, it was very, confusing. it was very complex. And the, and it was, again, it's those things that you said, which is communication. Yeah. The way it was communicated was, was very unclear on the VRBO uh, statement. So on that email that you get. But then it was confusing because when you got to the place, there was a lockbox and there was a, a code on the door. So like it just none of it made sense. And it it was honestly not a, a, a language barrier or anything. It was just that it, it was confusing. So those are really good points like that. The access and the communication, I think, are super important for mm -hmm. sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's a really interesting perspective that you took, Mindy, on referring to the guests in your Airbnb or your rental as a client it, and, and getting that repeat business. Mm -hmm. that, that's part of a, a, any business model. A good business model is working the business that you already have, right? And so that's a, a really interesting take in that, that you do those small touches so that they, they remember you and they come back to your condo. And all of our listeners, they come back and listen. Come back and listen. You can hit stop now, Pete. Oh, sorry. I wanted to do that, that tune-up music. This is The Mortgage Life. We look forward to continuing the conversation. So come back and listen. Listen.